So we're starting a new study on Elijah, and uh, he's one of the greats. I mean, he's one of the greatest in in the Old Testament. And you first come across Elijah, and I'd encourage you to look at 1 Kings 17, maybe read it this week, but that's when we first meet him. And I want to give you a little bit of context because it will help us understand through this series that Elijah is living during a time that the Israel is divided. It's two kingdoms now, uh, the north and the south. And so Elijah lives in the northern kingdom. And they have had 19 ungodly kings in a row. 200 years span of evil kings. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. I mean, just imagine 19 leaders, ineffective kings, presidents, evil leaders. Ahab is the king in Israel's northern kingdom. He's extremely evil, off the chart. In fact, to make matters worse, he's married to an evil woman. Perhaps the most wicked woman that has ever lived. And it's interesting because Jezebel, and that's not a good name for a child, by the way, but Jezebel's the first lady. And she is the first wife that's mentioned of all 19 kings, which I think that should tell us something. I think it should tell us about her dominance. And so her and her husband, they are this duo, and they produce a reign of terror. And the Bible describes it this way in First Kings And I love how God's word is just so, so clear uh, about things. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than what? This is a time of idolatry. The, The king has turned the people away from the true God, Jehovah. And has turned them to false gods of of Baal and Asherah. And people are doing crazy things in the name of these false gods. I mean, they're sacrificing their children. Uh, They're going to the temple and engaging in all kinds of sexual activity with prostitutes. And they're going, it's worship. And they really, there's things too gross to even describe. But society's twisted Okay, it's messed up. Uh, It's a time of scandal. It's a time of corruption, uh, abuse, uh, misuse of power. And the one true God, Jehovah, is being violated, is being ignored. And God looks down and says, enough is enough. And it's interesting, God doesn't raise up an army to take on the king, to deal with Israel. Instead, God does what God has done throughout history. And that is, God chooses to raise up one person, 
to take a stand. We've seen it before. I mean, we've seen it when God raised up a guy by the name of Moses. And he says, deliver my people. Deliver them from slavery in, in Egypt. And he does. We, we saw it when Israel was trembling and, and afraid and nobody would take a stand. And God raised up a young boy named David to defeat Goliath and the Philistines. And friends, I want to tell you, that's how God works. It's possible that God may want to do something like that in your world. Something very similar where you live today. I mean, God may want to raise up a teenage girl or boy to go against the tide, to stand up for sexual purity. You know, God may raise up a young leader in some company where there is an integrity But that person takes a stand and says, we're going to have integrity. I mean, God may raise up one person in politics to say, we're going to take a stand for what is right, what is true. God often, in fact, I would argue always, will raise up one person, someone willing to be used by God to make a difference. And God will design them in such a way that not only can they make a difference, they can make a huge difference. Now, how many of you ever watch uh, OCC? All right. Wow, full house of them. (laughs) Orange County Chopper? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, on that show, they kind of custom design motorcycles. And I, and I like watching it once in a while. And just, yeah, there's language on it once in a while. All right? But a recent episode I was watching, uh, they, they took a Ducati uh, bike. And uh, Ducati's like serious bike in and of itself. But they asked them to take it kind of to the next level. And so they, they asked the uh, team to uh, create a Marvel comic bike, specifically Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3. And uh, it was interesting because this team, and it's a father and son, his sons, uh, Paul Sr., Paul Jr., and uh, Mickey, they uh, start working on the design. But they do a lot of preparing to, to do that. They, they researched uh, Spider-Man. They, they studied the, the comic's history. Uh, they, they studied images and watched movies about Spider-Man because they wanted to get a feel for it. They wanted to understand what, what they were going to do with, with this bike. And it was interesting as they started the process, I mean, they're scribbling and drawing and they're paying attention to kind of the systems, how the bike operates, as well as kind of style. And when they got done with their drawings, you could tell, I mean, this we're, we're talking sweet, really sweet. And they, they start the process, and they tear this Ducati apart. They amp up the systems. They put in high-performance exhaust and fuel injectors. They redesigned the sprocket so it would have a little more torque with it. And 
it was just this amazing process. And then they started the aesthetics, I call it. The, the, the custom-made wheels and seats for it and redid the handlebars and the tank. Uh, they, oh, gorgeous, gorgeous tank. They were paying attention to every little detail. I mean, the smallest bolt, they were like, oh, it needs a different, different type there. And for me, I, I like the artistry, so the airbrushing, it was just incredible. And when they rolled that bike out and they had finished it, I mean, it was an engineering marvel. No pun intended, by the way. I believe the web-slinger himself would have been proud of that bike. I mean, it was, it was just a cool bike. And as amazing as it is to see a bike like that, friends, God is in the custom design business And it makes that look like trivia. I mean, our God is into detail. When you look at creation, I mean, it's awing. Every little detail God's paid attention to. And when you look at your life, God's into the details in your life. Scripture says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The fact is, you are custom made. We talk about that a lot around here, that you're made for a purpose. You're made on purpose. And God takes and focuses on our lives. And I believe God's got a customizing process. In fact, I believe that as we look at the customizing that God did in Elijah's life, it'll help us understand Elijah better. But I also believe as we understand who Elijah is, that we will begin to understand how God could work in our life. That that just maybe, if we grasp how God worked in his life, that maybe we would open ourselves up, maybe cooperate with God, and become the people that God's created us to be. See, I believe God is looking for men and women to raise up. To raise up. God, God raised Elijah up. He, he makes him a prophet, which means he's God's spokesperson. And so Elijah goes to Ahab and Israel, and he kind of puts them on notice, so to speak. And it's interesting, the name Elijah means my God is Jehovah. Again, it's pointing, his very name's pointing to a testimony that he wants the nation to get. God is Jehovah. Now we pick up the story early on and uh, he kind of roars into town and we don't know much about him. We don't know much at all uh, about him. In fact, scripture says, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, um, he's saying, we know Elijah is from this town. Uh, it'd be kind of like uh, saying, I'm Damon Talkington from Memphis, Tennessee. That's where I was born. Well, Scripture's saying Elijah is from here. He goes to Ahab and says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, here we go, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next years except at my word. 
Now, I want you to think Hollywood for a minute. Because this is the part where the music would have amped up. Because they want us to get what's going on. You know, Elijah has just made a huge prophetic judgment. This is epic. You know, he says, in in the coming months, in years, there will be no rain. In fact, not even just rain. There's not going to be any dew until I say otherwise. Think about that. I mean, I'm not sure we really grasp the significance of that. Uh, People today would say that our uh, world is kind of in what I'll say uh, the economy's in slowdown. This would have been shut down in that day. I mean, in that day, it was agriculturally driven. And to not have rain meant everything would shut down, ultimately. Uh, For us to get a grasp of it, it would be like someone showing up today and speaking for for God and delivering a message to, to the world and saying something like, from this day forward until I give the word, For the next several years, no more oil will come out of the ground. Think about that. No more oil. And the analytics, those of you out there are going, yeah, but, well, we'd just use reserves. You know, we'd we'd hoard stuff up. Yeah, we would. But, friends, we might be able to hang in there for a little while. But ultimately, quicker than you could imagine, cities would start shutting down. Homes would be without power. Nations would be paralyzed. And within a year, I guarantee you, there would be chaos in this world. Give it a year and a half, we'd be living like we're in the 1800s again. And we know from Scripture that when Elijah said no more rain, it lasted three and a half years. You know, I believe the the change at first would would be kind of slow. But then it would accelerate. Again, think about it. I mean, no electricity. It'd be really dark in here, wouldn't it? We've done that before a few times. Banks would collapse. Unemployment, 60, 70, 80, 90%. And then people would probably start dying. So Elijah, Elijah stands before the king and he says, no more rain. I believe that took tremendous faith. Elijah enters Ahab's palace. Crowd, they're expecting a showdown. You know, mano a mano, until somebody taps out. Stakes are high. I mean, this is a death match. You know, you've heard the saying, don't kill the messenger. Well, Elijah's the messenger, and it's not good news. His life is on the line. And so God immediately says to Elijah, go into hiding. 
this wasn't, if you read the text, it wasn't what Elijah thought he had signed up for. But he really didn't have an option. I mean, he had to go into hiding or die. And so Elijah makes this proclamation before Ahab. He goes into hiding. And friends, the reason why God took him into hiding was very different than than what Elijah thought. God wasn't concerned about whether he was going to live or die. God had bigger plans. God had greater things for Elijah to do. And it was almost like God said to him, there is so much I need to do in you because there's so much I want to do through you. Custom design. God had a plan. I I believe as we talk this morning, many of you are going to identify you know, with the, this kind of preparatory work that, that God does, that God's doing in Elijah. Because today you'd go, you know what, I'm, I'm in that kind of season right now. I mean, some of God's best customizing comes during seasons of isolation, seasons of pain, seasons of struggle. You know, where everything kind of gets stripped down in, in life uh, And you end up with nothing but God. Anybody there? Anybody ever been there? You know, Scripture scripture says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here. Turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. The Kareth Ravine. Hmm. You heard of it? It's not not a uh, popular vacation destination. In fact, in the Hebrew, it means to be cut off, to be cut down. Sounds like the kind of place you want to go to, doesn't it? I mean, it's like God saying to Elijah, Elijah, we're going to go into a time of breaking, time when we're going to cut things down. We're, we're going to humble you. We're going to, we're, I can teach you to totally depend on me. Because God knows when he finishes with Elijah that he's going to be able to cruise out of this ravine. And he's going to be able to do more than he ever thought possible. I mean, some of you are living in the Kareth Ravine, aren't you? You go, I'm there. I mean, I'm I'm being broken. I'm being beaten. I, I feel alone. In fact, if you're there today, you, you may be asking the questions I've asked. Where are you, God? Where are you, God? You know, mo- most of the time when we're in that ravine of life, I'll tell you where God is. God's right next to you, customizing you, working in you. You know, God may be saying, you know, and I'm, I want to teach you. I want to teach you how to be the person that I created you to be. I'm going to teach you things that you will not learn any other way. I'm going to work in you so I can do more through you. You know, my my mentor, I'm so thankful for him uh, early in my ministry. He, he would just kind of say things, put his arm around me and guide me and at first, I found some of the things he'd tell me kind of strange. And uh, he, he would say things like, Damon, it's not the smartest. It's not the quickest. It's not the most talented. And he'd go through a litany of, of things. But he would go, it's those that endure the most pain 
that will accomplish the most for the kingdom of God. And I remember just laughing about it. Like, are you serious? And then later I found myself believing that. And then later I found myself, as I mentored people, saying, let me tell you something. It's not the smartest. It's not the brightest. Because here's what I've learned. It's in the pain. That's where we grow. You know, that's where God gets our full attention. You know, I can remember him telling me that uh, God will prepare you for the next level by breaking you. Didn't make me real excited about going to the next level. I can remember dark days in my life, several times through my life, but most recent uh, was probably dark days and and I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand what God was preparing me for. And it was to start faith fellowship. I wouldn't have done it any other way. Wouldn't have taken the step. God breaks us to take us to that next level. It's how God works. You know, God prepares us. He, He customizes us. In the Kareth Valley. And I want to tell you, if that's where you are today, I want to encourage you because in the breaking, in the breaking, in the pain, God's preparing you. God's preparing you. God is preparing you to use that pain. And it doesn't matter how it's ended up in your life. God will use that pain to strengthen you, to grow you. If you let him. There's something else that, that God does. We, we see God as he's shaping Elijah, as he's molding him and customizing him into a powerful man of God. We see God take him through the, the season of complete dependence. We're only Eli- the only thing Elijah has is God. You know, scripture says, says it this way. God's speaking to him. He says, you'll drink from the brook. And I have directed, get this, the ravens to supply you with food. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kareth Valley, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Elijah's alone in the wilderness. It's the middle of a a drought. There's no water to be found anywhere. But what's God doing? God's providing him a a spring, a babbling brook. Some some, uh, translations say God gives him this heavenly catering service. Ravens, go figure. You know, bread and meat. Every morning and every evening they deliver. And I believe it was a way for God to say to him, I will take care of you no matter what. We're going to do this off the chart thing with the ravens so that you're aware that I'm doing this. I'm going to show you I'm faithful. I'm going to show you that you can count on me to provide you with everything you need. Some of you, the only thing you've got right now is God. You know, it's, it's all been ripped out from under you. God wants to teach you to trust Him. You know, to look for security in Him. 
I mean, so many times we're looking for security somewhere else and God will just knock the slats out or allow them to get knocked out. So you have nothing else to trust in but God. Some of you are there today. In other words, God's the giver of all things and God can take it away or allow it to be taken away. Some of you are learning that really hard lesson that God gives and God takes. But God is forever faithful. Forever faithful. It's like the uh, single mom that she would pray often and daily and thank God for everything that he was providing. And she would get praying so loud that her neighbor, she lived in an apartment, thin walls, neighbor could hear her praying and praising God. Well, her neighbor was an atheist and he would be like, lady, give it up. There is, there's not a God. There's not a God. Quit kidding yourself. And then one day she, she didn't have enough money to make it through the month and she started praying really loud, you know, God, I, I need food. I need food for, for my kids. You're always faithful. I know that you'll provide. And the atheist, he, he couldn't stand it anymore, so he ran down to the store and he bought food, put it in a bag, brought the bags, put them in front of her door, knocked on the door and took off running. She come out. She saw the food. She's like, God, you're so good. You always provide. He runs out of his apartment. He goes, God didn't do that. I did it. I did it. She started praising even more. She said, thank you, God. Thank you for providing and making the devil pay for it. You know. God provides. When, when you understand, when you get your mind around that, when the thing that you've been dependent on, you can't depend on anymore, and you're left with only one option, and that's God, God will deliver. God will deliver, God will deliver, and God will give you what you need in life. Have you learned that one yet? I mean, Elijah learned that. I mean, God didn't give him a four-month supply of food. God didn't even give him a week's worth of food. In fact, not even two days' worth of food. What did God give him? What's it say? Gave him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening. Every meal, one time a day, twice a day. You know, it was just... God says, you are going to depend on me. Reminds me of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs uh, 30. It says, give me just what I need. If I have too much to eat, I might forget you. That's true. If I don't have enough, I might steal and disgrace your name. You know, the writer of Proverbs wanted us to understand, wanted us to, to learn that God provides. God provides Some of you right now, you're in that season where you're hurting and you're alone and you're afraid and you're struggling. And guess what? God will deliver. God will deliver. God will deliver enough for the day. For the day. You know, if you're uncomfortable and afraid, God says, I'll comfort you today. You don't have much. God says, it's okay. I'll provide for you today. But I'm weak 
God says, I'll give you strength for the day. God may not give you more than you need, but he will give you exactly what you need. That's the God we serve. God says, I will bring you your daily bread. That's why Jesus prayed that. It's key to understanding our connection with God. You know, Elijah, he's depending on God. God God is breaking him. God, God's cutting him down. He's humbling him. He's teaching him to depend on him. And then God takes him through this season of unconditional obedience. I mean, after the, the season of isolation and pain, Elijah, he's learned to trust God totally, to lean on God totally. And now God's going to take him through this unconditional obedience in, in his life. And we don't have time to read the, the whole story, but it's interesting because God says, to him sometime later the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land then the word of the lord came to him go at once to zareph in the region of sidon and stay there i will direct a widow there to supply you with food now i want you to kind of get in the shoes of elijah elijah has been in the wilderness For almost a year. He went to the place God told him. God's been providing him fresh water and and food every single day. And then the brook dries up. And God says, move on. Now, I think Elijah was thinking, okay, God, what's up? You know, the, the brook you've provided dried up now? I don't understand. I don't get it. Did, did I do something wrong? You know, did, did I not do something you wanted me to do? I mean, Elijah's trying to get his mind around it. And Elijah's going to learn what we all learn, and that is God can give water and God can take away. Sometimes the brook dries up. Why? I think to give us courage, to give us courage to make the move that we need to move so that we go where we're supposed to be in life. Some of you are right there today. The the brook dried up, didn't it? I mean, you ever been cruising along? Everything's going good. You're feeling high on life. And then a relationship dries up. You know, you're feeling on top of everything and suddenly the business dries up and things get really difficult. You ever been cruising in your life And everything's going good. You know, health-wise, you're feeling great. You're running and working out. And then the brook dries up. You're serving God, praying, reading your Bible every day, serving God in every way imaginable, and suddenly the brook dries up. What's going on with that? I mean, what's God doing in that? Friends, I believe we learn more about God and more about ourselves when brooks dry up. More than when the brook's overflowing. Because I believe we learn that we must depend on God when that brook is totally dried up. And God is teaching Elijah what he wants to teach us, that there is absolutely nothing in this world that's nailed down. There is no security. There's no absolutes. There's nothing that you can depend on, count on, take to the bank, that what you have, the only thing you have 
is God. When it, when it all boils down. And I think God wants to teach us that nothing in, in this world matters. Today we have it, tomorrow we don't. You know, that God wants to teach us to set our affections on Him. Set our affections on, on things above. And if we're going to do that, the only way we do that is if we spend a lot of time with God. And when you spend time with God, God starts working in you, customizing, loving you, you know, training you. And, and Sometimes, God allows the brook to dry up so that he can move us. Have you noticed that in life? Shake you up. You know, dry things out so that you start moving in your life. You know, history, uh, Enterprise, Alabama, early 1900s, cotton. Cotton was the king. They planted the whole county in cotton. And then they had some problems. They had a, a little bug, bull weevil, came in, decimated the crops. Cotton dried up. I mean, several years in, in a row. They, they, they'd plant and they would end up with nothing. And so someone said, you know, why don't we try planting peanuts? And they did. And guess what? They made five times the amount of money that they made with cotton. And the residents of that city said they'd still be planting cotton today if it hadn't been for the bull weevil. The brook dried up. And I love it because 1919, and if you're ever through there, they've got a statue in honor of what? What do you think? The bull weevil. (laughs) Go figure. Friends, I believe that God guides by what he provides. You know, I've, I've said before, where there's vision, God will provide. And God does that. But I also believe that God guides by what he doesn't provide. The same God that gives water takes the water away. And it moves Elijah. Elijah's brook dries up. God says, go, go to Zephyr. Why? Why do you want me to go there? Why do you want me to leave? Why, why did the brook dry up? I, I don't understand. And he's so lost, just struggling. How many of you remember the movie uh, Karate Kid? I'm really dating myself, aren't I? It was on uh, TV uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was catching part of it. I mean, it's, it's a classic. It's a classic. It's a, it's a great movie. But this boy named Daniel, he's... Uh, Wanting to learn how to fight. He's got some problems on his hands and he thinks this is going to solve it. And so he goes to a karate instructor, uh, Mr. Miyagi. And uh, he says, teach me to fight. Mr. Miyagi says, okay, first paint my fence. And so Daniel comes over and he's painting the fence. And Mr. Miyagi would come by and go, no, like this, you know. And he'd correct him. And so... For weeks, every day, he'd, he'd get done with the fence and he'd have him paint the house. And he had him sanding floors. They had him doing all, all this stuff. And every time Mr. Miyagi would step in and go, no, 
Daniel like this, you know. And so he was always working with him. Daniel, typical teen, getting irritated. And there's this great scene where Daniel just can't stand it anymore. And he goes, I thought, I thought you were going to teach me to fight. And all I'm doing is chores for you. And I'm out of here, man. And he turns to walk away. Mr. Miyagi's like, come here, Danielson. He says, Daniel, what have you learned? Wax on? Wax off. (laughs) And he does that and he blocks a punch. He says, Daniel, show me paint the fence. And he's blocking punches. Show me paint the house. And again, he's deflecting the punches. Show me sand the floor and he blocks some kicks that are thrown at him. And all of a sudden, you see Daniel. It all starts clicking. It makes sense. It's coming together. He realizes that although they were chores, he's been learning and training the entire time. God tells Elijah, he says, go to leave the Kareth Valley. Go, leave this ravine. This place where I've provided you water, it's dried up. What? I don't understand. God says, go to the new place. And he sends him to find the widow. So he picks up, he travels 100 miles or so. He finds the widow. He humbles himself. He says, Madam, I'm really thirsty. Could you, could you give me something to drink? Maybe, maybe a little snack or something? Now, I love this story because if you, if you read the whole thing, it's kind of like she goes, seriously, are you the only man on the planet that doesn't know we haven't had rain? I'm out here gathering up sticks. I was going to go home, and I've got just enough flour and oil. I was going to make my son and I our very last meal, and then we're probably going to die. Because of what God had been doing in Elijah's life, in that ravine, in that valley of life, it all comes together. It starts making sense. And Elijah immediately knows and speaks with faith to what seemed impossible. And he says, no, the the flour, the oil, it will not run out. Go bake me some biscuits and just see. And sure enough, she, she makes the biscuits and she's got oil and flour left over. That's probably where the first doxology was saying. Praise God from whom all biscuits flow. Praise him. You know. Maybe. All right. It's, I'm, that's my bent on it. All right. He ate, they ate for weeks and months on that little bit of flour and oil. It just didn't go away. Later on, the widow's son, he gets very ill. He dies. She kind of blames Elijah. And because God had been shaping and customizing Elijah, working in him, 
because Elijah was willing to obey God, he does something that had never been done in history. He takes this child, and this is at least the first recorded time that he carries him to the upper room, Scripture says. He looks to heaven, and he says, God, I believe you can heal this boy. And God, I'm asking you to bring him back from the dead. And the boy sits up. And he walks down those stairs with Elijah. God prepared him for that moment. I mean, I I think, why did it happen? How, How did Elijah have the faith to, to take that step. Friends, it was because he spent time in the Kareth Valley. You know, he spent time in that ravine of life. He spent that time, that season, where all he had to depend on was God. And so when the brook dried up, he ultimately would go where God wanted him to be in the first place. You know, some of you right now, today, you're in that, that deep season of pain and frustration. You know, the brooks dried up. And maybe, maybe God's saying, I'm going to use this so that I can do more through you. You know, I find it interesting. Uh, the very first verse, it says, Elijah, the Tishbite. That's how we know him, as where he's from. All right? 23 verses later, this man of God, Scripture says this, Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know you're a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. She announces that when she realizes her son's alive. And now we know Elijah, not by where he's from, but whom he's from. And I believe that God lets us go through the Kareth Valleys so that one day people will look at you and they'll say, there, I see it. There's a woman of God. There's a child of God. There's a man of God. You know, I, I praise God for that kind of custom design that he has, that, that through the pain of life, I, God shaped me. You know, God, God's broken me many times. But it's through that hurt that as God is working and customizing and as we're obedient, as I've been obedient through my life, what I found was I started being able to trust God because God builds our faith there. And my prayer has always been that when, when people look at me, they wouldn't go, well, there's Damon talking to him from Memphis, Tennessee. But instead, they'd say, you know what? That's Damon. He's kind of messed up sometimes. Tells terrible jokes. And he's definitely not perfect but he's a man of God. And friends, that's what God wants to do in your life. Because our God 
is in the business of custom designing men and women and children of God. It's just what God does. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, we thank you for the valleys of life. And God, I know there are many here today that they're in the Kareth Valley. They're in that ravine. They feel alone. They feel broken. They feel hurt. But God, I pray that at some point they'd realize that you're going to use that. You're going to customize them. God, I thank you for those valleys in my life. and I know many would say it was in, in that valley that God did his best work. God, I pray we'd always focus on you. I pray we would always lean on you. God, raise us up. Let our lives shout to the world that Jehovah's God, that you're our God and you're worthy of praise, you're worthy of our lives. We give you the glory, we give you the praise. And let's stand together and sing. Lift your voice to God.